inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast. It's all about horses and equestrian sports. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have time, I'd sure appreciate a review and rating. I've been getting some great feedback on the podcast, both online and in person. And I love seeing the five-star reviews. It helps me out a lot, and it helps other horse lovers find this podcast. So my heartfelt thanks to everyone who's left me a review. I enjoy reading your comments, and we love it when you have ideas for the podcast. And please, leave questions for our Q&A segment. Since the last time we've recorded, I've been traveling a lot. It's, it's the expo season now. I, I was in Ohio for Equine Affair. Soon I'll be headed to Minnesota for the horse expo there, and uh, also to California. Uh, when I'm here at home, I'm doing as much riding as I possibly can squeeze in between all my other obligations, and the horses are all doing great. My little mare, Annie, just attended her first mounted shooting with uh, Melissa, my barn manager, and they did really well. I'm really p- proud of how well both of them did in the contest. Um, it was Annie's first time out the door. Melissa was um, needed a new horse. She unfortunately lost her her good shooting horse and so um she sort of at the last minute took annie and annie apparently likes that job so uh, we're looking for more good things to come from her and my little three-year-old pepperoni he's doing well uh too really been having some great rides on him now that things have thawed out a little bit around here and i can ride in the outdoor arena and out in the fields a little bit Um, We've had our challenges riding outdoors, not the same confinement and uh, lack of distraction that you have riding indoors. So it's been good to challenge his um, training a little bit and to expand his boundaries there. I did make the hard decision to withdraw him from a competition that he was slated for in April, but he just wasn't ready for it. And I really did Do not want to push this horse either physically or mentally. He's such a nice horse. And I plan to keep him for the long run. So I want to make sure he's healthy and and really enjoys his job. So it's spring season around here. As I said, footing has thawed out. We're able to ride outdoors more. The snow's starting to melt off the trails. We're thinking about getting in the outdoors. And that brings me to this month's main topic for the podcast, which is spring training, setting up a successful riding season and getting you and your horse ready to ride. Last month, I shared some of my most memorable stories about creating my long-lasting TV series, Horse Master with Julie Goodnight. By the way, all of this Horsemaster content is streaming on demand at tv.juliegoodnight.com. And the best part is it's searchable by topic. So it's a great horse training tool at your fingertips whenever you need horse training help. And before we get started on the main topic, 
getting ready to ride for the riding season, I'd like to remind everyone to sign up for my newsletter. It comes to your inbox twice a month with in-depth training advice, information about my clinics and expos, and deals that you won't want to miss. To sign up, go to juliegoodnight.com and hit contact. While you're there, check out my Horsemanship Academy with online membership programs and unlimited access to hundreds of horse training videos. My interactive membership includes horsemanship lessons for every level rider and personalized coaching from me. And right now, I'd like to share with you spring training, getting ready to ride. It's springtime around here, and I live up in the high mountains of Colorado where the winters are can be long and hard. This year, certainly it was, um, and we've had a lot of snow and uh, that the subsequent mud that comes from that and just cold, windy, wet weather. So for many people in parts of the country that experience intense winters, a lot of us horse people just put our horses away for the winter and then get them back out in the spring. And there's a lot can happen over the winter to sort of devolve your horse's, um, your, your relationship with your horse or to um, maybe unglue your horse's training just a little bit. And so what I want to talk to you today about is getting ready for that riding season, assuming that perhaps you've had a long time off and your horse hasn't had much work. Now, for those of you that live in warm climates where you can ride all year long, um, maybe this would apply to a situation where your horse had a long layoff due to an injury or some other, or maybe you had an injury and a subsequent long uh, period went by without your horse getting out and being worked. So that's the perspective we're coming from here. But I want to couch it more in terms of the spring riding season, gearing up for the riding season that is approaching. So first of all, there's some things that hopefully have occurred before it's time to actually go down to the barn and get your horse out. Primarily, um, we have a lot of maintenance issues that I like to do late in the winter or early in the spring, uh, whenever it's convenient, but things that I want to do on an annual basis with my horse. So First and foremost is scheduling something with the vet to come vaccinate your horse, pull blood for a Coggins test if you plan to be traveling with your horse, give him the good once over, check his teeth. We, we usually do teeth floating in the spring as well. So we kind of just give our horses that good annual checkup and, and the maintenance that he requires. Same thing, of course, with your farrier. Um, also, I want to look at my plans and goals for the summer or for that upcoming riding season, whether it be summer for you or winter. Um, lots of parts of the country, uh, the hotter parts of the country tend to have the riding season in the winter. So um, as you're gearing up, you want to look ahead. You know, I like to look ahead a good solid six months and kind of plan out what your main goals are. Maybe there's some group trail rides you plan to go on. Maybe there's some horse shows or competitions you want to attend. Maybe you want to come to one of my horsemanship clinics um, or another horsemanship clinic somewhere else. Whatever your goals are, you need to set them down on paper well in advance because horses take time to get ready. You're going to take time to get ready and get in shape. 
And you want to make sure that you have, you know, all your I's dotted and T's crossed long before. Um, also, once I've planned out whatever traveling or main events or goals I want to accomplish with my horse, then from there, I'm able to backpedal and really plan a reasonable training schedule with my horse. Let's say you hope to attend a horsemanship clinic in August with your horse. And you know you're going to have to travel two or three uh, hours to get there. You know your horse is going to have to stay in a stall overnight in a strange place. You know that you're going to be expected to ride um, ride that horse yourself for several hours a day. So all of these things are going to set the framework for setting your goals and a realistic timeline to get ready. You know, if I'm going to go to a horsemanship clinic and I know I'm going to be riding my horse all day long for two days, I need to start a good two, three months in advance to get ready for that. So if I'm attending a competition, maybe there are certain skills that let's say I'm going with my three-year-old pepperoni and I know I'm going to, let's say maybe I'm going to enter him in ranch riding and I know I'm going to have to do you know, simple lead changes. I'm going to have to do a pivot on the hindquarters. I'm going to have to maybe open a gate and close it, go trot over some ground poles, Whatever these skills are, I want to make sure I put that into my training regimen, the uh, pre prerequisite skills that are required for that um, maneuver competition. And so I can really set out a realistic training plan that doesn't leave me cramming and jamming on my horse at the last minute. Also in the spring, in my uh, pre-season planning I'm probably going to take my trailer, horse trailer, into the um, shop and have the bearings checked, have the um, wiring looked over, have the tires checked, all that stuff just to make sure my trailer's in great shape uh, before we ever need to go anywhere. The battery on the um, emergency brake, all those kind of things should be checked on an annual basis. So we've done all the preseason planning, kind of got our ducks in a row. I've developed a little bit of a training schedule for me and my horse to be able to accomplish the goals I wanted. So now let's talk about going down to the barn and actually getting that horse out, doing hands-on work with your horse um, after a long period away from working him. One thing I've noticed through the years here in Colorado when people tend to put their horses away for the winter and not do much with them, you know, maybe they got them out uh, a few times or whatever to groom them, but uh, they're not in any kind of regular work, work routine. If they're turned out with other horses during this time, your, your horse can become quite herd bound. This, there's nothing wrong with that. That's natural behavior. It's perfectly understandable. You have more or less abandoned this horse for the winter. So of course he's going to, you know, take the best deal that comes his way, which is his, his natural herd. That's going to become the central focus of his life. And so as we ease back into a riding routine with your horse, you want to be really aware of uh, constantly assessing your horse's level of herd boundness, um, constantly thinking about ways that you can reestablish your relationship with the horse so that he is more bonded with you. So one of the first things I'm going to recommend that you do 
is go down, get your horse out, bring him someplace secluded from the rest of the horses. Um, out of sight, out of mind is best. Um, out of hearing range, even better. And the first thing I'm going to do is, is take all the time in the world to give my horse a really thorough grooming job from stem to stern, all the way down all four legs, um, getting into every nook and cranny of that horse. Um, chances are this time of year your horse is shedding. I'm a big fan of the hands-on grooming gloves because it allows me to go all over my horse from head to tail um, with um, feeling with my fingers at the same time. I'm pulling out all that dead hair and skin and all that uh, winter filth that's accumulated on the horse. This is a really good bonding time for your, your horse. He should enjoy this experience. Uh, it should be like a massage to him. Uh, it should never be rushed. Um, and, and look at your horse. You know, horses, if you watch what they do with their neck and their face, and in particular, their, their lips. Um, so when horses... If you're massaging or grooming or stroking a horse and he and it feels good to him, he will pucker his lip. And so I like to kind of watch my horse's facial expression as I'm grooming and, and make sure he's enjoying this experience. You know, my horses work really hard for me. And of course, I want them to enjoy the grooming experience. And I want that to be something that they look forward to when they're with me. So spending some time uh, really going over your horse from head to tail, finding any little bumps and scrapes and things like that, swellings that might have um, happened without your knowledge. I want to um, have my horse separated from the other horses, as I said, tie him up, kind of get him used to, okay, so we're going to kind of ease back into this thing. All the while, I'm going to, going to be assessing how herdbound is, is my horse? How frantic is he about being separated? Is he constantly looking back to the herd and calling back to the herd? Um, because those things are going to indicate that I've, I've got a little bit more work to do, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, if you really want some great bonding time with your horse after a nice grooming session, take him off out on a little walk away from the barn, maybe to where some nice green grass is growing. Let him munch a little grass. Um, take him on a little small expedition. Again, you can assess his level of herd boundness by doing that and um, kind of ease him back into the idea that he's going to be going places with you. Now, depending on how mature and how well-trained my horse is, the next area of focus is probably going to be on some groundwork. And as I do groundwork with my horses, the whole purpose is to establish a relationship with the horse, to do some bonding, to um, set myself up, self up as the leader to my horse, make sure that my horse is focused on me, aware of me, uh, being very careful about my space. He is staying present with me and not looking outside the arena or thinking about the other horses. He moves with me as I walk and trot. I'm going to um, work on his lead line manners. By the way, all of these exercises I'm going to talk about in the groundwork are available in my video called Lead Line Leadership. It's, uh, it's about ground manners and establishing that connection with your horse. 
And I'm going to be working my horse in a rope halter, probably with a 12 or 15 foot lead. I, I prefer a 15 foot lead, but that can be a lot of rope for some people. So a uh, 12 foot lead is adequate. Um, a normal lead, sh lead rope is about eight feet. And you're not really going to be able to do a lot of groundwork with the, with an eight foot lead. It's just simply too short. So check out my website for rope halters and leads if you're lacking in that department. Um, after some lead line work, getting the horse connected to me, and I'm probably the next thing I'm going to do is some circling work. So I'm going to put my horse out to the end of the lead, circle him both directions around me, turning directions frequently. Uh, remember, I've said it about a thousand times, is that um, the best thing you can do to gain more control and authority with a horse is to cause him to change directions. And so in both our groundwork and mounted work, we're going to do a lot of changing directions. First, you're going left, then you're going right, then you're going left. Um, so as I'm doing this circling work out on, out on the long lead, um, it's a little bit like lunging your horse in that he's going to be getting a little exercise at the trot. And that's going to kind of take some of the oxygen out of him. And that might be a good thing if you haven't ridden in a long time. You don't want that horse to be so full of exuberant energy that the when you step on him for the first time in six months that he's difficult to control. So if I can take a little air out of my horse in the groundwork portion at the same time that I'm establishing leadership with the horse and reconnecting with that horse, then I'm sort of uh, multitasking there, which is great. So as I do groundwork with the horse, and by the way, maybe, maybe I just do uh, the grooming and the groundwork for um, a whole week with my horse before I even think about saddling him and riding him. That's okay. Uh, there's, there's no hurry. There's no time frame here. If I've got a mature, steady, horse that maybe I've had a long time and trained to a pretty high level. The groundwork may not be necessary at all. And if it is, maybe it's just one, one little session of it for 10 minutes. So every horse and person is different in, in how, how long it's going to take to, to get the horse back to where he was when you left off in the last riding season or the last time you rode him. So I would be thinking about doing, if, if, if my horse was, had been all this time showing a lot of herd bound issues, I would probably be thinking about more groundwork. I would be taking my horse farther and farther away from the barn to do the groundwork. Um, also, I might think, uh, depending again on my horse's maturity and training level, I may want to give him a little refresher course and loading in the trailer, maybe feeding him in the trailer a couple of times to reestablish his familiarity with being in a horse trailer, particularly if I'm going to be um, doing some traveling. So um, again, whether I spent just one short session of groundwork before I jump up on that horse, or I spent a whole week or two doing this, um, there's no time frame, and I, I doubt you could do too much of it. So um, plan yourself a little extra time in your training calendars to make sure that you you spend some time on the ground with your horse, both in bonding, grooming, and also in a little bit of groundwork. 
at some point, my horse is going to feel pretty good to me. He's less focused on the herd, more focused on me. He's reminded of his ground manners. I've been getting him up and tie up, getting him out, tying him up, grooming him, doing a few things, letting him stand around tied every now and then. Um, So at some point, we're going to be ready to start saddling this horse. I want to remind everybody that every year your horse's body changes in shape as he matures. And it's really important that we reassess saddle fit frequently, especially when the horse is coming back to riding after some period of layoff. Um, Your horse could have gained weight, lost weight, gained muscle, probably not lost muscle, maybe. Um, Just the fact that every year he gets older, his body changes in shape, just like yours does, but much faster. So every year I want to really check on saddle fit. You know, if if you're like me and you ride your horses year round, you're going to try to schedule twice a year to check on that saddle fit. Maybe we need to change the padding. Um, Maybe your young horse has gone from a regular tree size to a wide tree size and we have to actually you know think about a new saddle for that horse Um, or maybe we just need to change the pad situation but check the fit check the condition of your saddle I want to give my all of my tack the saddle the bridle reins everything a really thorough grooming and conditioning Um, I'm a big fan of the leather therapy family of products And um, I like to use the glycerin wash to really uh, clean that leather and then the conditioner as much as it's going to absorb over time to sort of rejuvenate that leather and bring the suppleness back into it. So spend some time on your tack. And um, also, you know, it's important to understand if your horse has been laid off for a long period of time, he's probably become soft. And we, a horse that is riding fit is, and is also um, what we might say hardened to the saddle. And uh, don't think of that as something negative because it's not, but just like imagine that you had not worn shoes on your feet. Um, you'd been wearing flip-flops, let's say, for the last two or three months, and now all of a sudden you were going to have to wear boots all day, every day. Um, You're not just going to slip those sandal-wearing feet into boots and wear them all day without experiencing a little bit of discomfort. So what what you would do is try to wear your boots maybe for a half hour today and an hour tomorrow um, so that your feet sort of got hardened to wearing boots and your horse wearing a saddle and you riding him is no different if he has not been ridden in a long time he's become soft and he needs some time you know probably minimally 30 days of riding before he's actually gonna um, condition up get used to the saddle lose some of that um, soft fat and um and and be ready to ride for long periods of time so check your horse's condition put him out on the lunge line on hard trot him for five ten minutes is can he long trot for 10 minutes and do pretty good or is he just you know like wanting to fall down after five minutes of trot all of that's going to sort of give you a baseline of your horse's fitness level and condition 
And you're going to be able then to sort of compare that to what your riding goals are for the season and know that you, you know, probably are going to need to um, plan time for conditioning, just simple conditioning for your horse and hardening to the saddle. Now, after all of that, with checking your saddle, doing the ground with, uh, work with your horse, thinking about your horse's fitness, um, maybe even spending a week or two um, working him in the round pen or lunging him just for his fitness level before you ride him, if he's that bad out of shape, um, eventually you're going to come to the point where you're ready to actually start riding this horse that's been laid off for a long period of time. And uh, so I want to just talk to you for a few minutes about um, the first few rides you're going to take on on this horse getting in. Remember, your main focus now is not training specific performance, but is to get the horse back into a riding groove to remind him of the things he has learned in the past to, I would say, to get him back to the state where I left him when I laid him off for the winter or for whatever reason I laid him off. So anybody who's ever done a clinic with me has heard me talk about the importance of the golden moments. That's what I call it. And the golden moments are the first five or 10 minutes you get on a horse. And it is the time during which you set the tone for that ride. Um, typically what happens in the first five or 10 minutes of any ride you take on the horse is that the horse is testing you. The horse is trying to see what kind of rider you are, see how responsive he has to be, see how much work he's going to have to do. And so what I like to do is I think about the golden moments hard every time I get on a horse. I want to establish certain principles with that horse. I want us to come to an understanding. And instead of that horse testing me in the first five or 10 minutes, I'm going to be testing him and I'm going to be telling him what my expectations are. So that's what I call the golden moments. And what I'm testing is my horse's obedience and responsiveness. Remember, an obedient horse is one that goes in the direction dictated by the rider at the speed chosen by the rider without argument and without the rider having to micromanage the horse. So what we're shooting for is 100% obedience in your horse meaning he goes in the direction you want at the speed you want without argument. Um, so in those first few minutes, I'm going to take my horse all around the area that I'm riding. I'm going to ride him. Uh, if I'm out in the field or on the going down the road, I might require him to go through a puddle. If I'm riding in the arena, I would put him up into the corners. I'm going to change directions a lot. I'm going to change speeds a lot. I'm going to put my horse on a specific line and then lay my hands down on his neck and see what he does with that freedom. Does he immediately try to change directions or does he keep going in the direction and speed I dictated? I'm going to ask him to work on a loose rein. Uh, if I'm having to hold my horse in a direction or hold my horse in a speed, those are really big red, flat, red flags for me. I'm going to address those as disobedience, and I'm going to make sure my horse understands that 
I have certain requirements and expectations of you. Um, these aren't hard or difficult, but they will re require your cooperation. So after your horse has been laid off for a long period of time, these golden moments are going to be even more important um, to reestablish that authority, reestablish the connection with the horse, get his mind on the job at hand. Um, let me remind you one more time that changes of direction are your most powerful tool. Um, circling is not that, that advantageous, but changing your horse's direction from right to left, turning him away from the herd, away from the barn, away from the gate, all these things, being aware of whether your horse is pulling towards the gate, pulling towards the herd. Um, these are all things that need to be addressed in those golden moments. Also, in the first few rides I take with that horse, um, getting him ready for the upcoming riding season, I really want to start challenging his endurance and his condition. I like to, as I've said many times, I, I like to long trot my horses for 10 minutes at the beginning of every ride. And this is important conditioning to the horse, but it's also important in establishing a good work ethic in that horse. If your horse knows that every time you get on him, he's going to have to trot for 10 minutes long and hard, he comes to work with in a real um, sort of workmanlike mentality. Um, and there's a, they just kind of want to get down to it and, and get to work in, in that case. So I would try a 10-minute long trot if you cannot do 10 minutes because either you or your horse or both of you do not have the fitness, well, now you have um, a, a good goal in front of you. So if you cannot do 10 minutes, I urge you to push for the five minute mark. Um, this is going to be really important for both of you to start establishing a baseline of fitness you will only get stronger by challenging that baseline, by pushing the aerobic capacity for both you and your horse and building some muscle strength. So then after whatever, however many minutes of long trot you can pull off, whether it's five or 10, I'm going to ask that of my horse every day, right off the bat, five or 10 minutes of long trot. And I want to see how my horse's condition improves. I should see improvement every single week on that long trot. By the end of three or four weeks, the 10 minute long trot would be nothing to your horse. And I might start adding a little bit of canter work after that or pushing his fitness up higher. But that's gonna be a great way to kickstart your fitness level for both you and your horse. Now in these first few rides, if you're still having a lot of problems with herd bound issues, he's calling out, he's looking out, he's, you know, speeding up when you turn towards a barn and slowing down when you turn away from the barn, things like that. It's probably time for you to go back to groundwork, maybe get the assistance of a trainer. Uh, maybe you want to think about coming to a horsemanship clinic. Um, these issues really need to be nipped in the bud and, and not just ignored. So if, if, uh, if by the time you get to your first few rides for the season, you're, that's not improving, 
Um, you're still having a lot of problems with that. You kind of going to have to back up, do some more groundwork, maybe enlist the help of a trainer to see what it's going to take to get your horse past that. Um, I might be thinking about trailering my horse out after the first couple of weeks of riding, get him in the in the mindset that he's going to have to work in other locations instead of just at home, whether that be on the trail or in a strange arena. And uh, again, I want to make sure I plan plenty of time to condition myself and to condition my horse physically for whatever uh, demands I'm going to place upon him later in the season. And we cannot expect our horses to gain fitness any faster than we can ourselves. And so what that means is if I've got a, uh, let's say a big group trail ride coming up two months from now, and my horse is going to have to, you know, ride six or eight hours of trail every day, I've got uh, two months is a minimal amount of time uh, to be ready for that. So I would rather have you know, three or four months of riding ahead of me to ensure my horse's fitness. Um, so make sure you plan ahead because the last thing you want to do is uh, make that horse miserable, make him sore in his back, sore in his legs, girth sore from the saddle, um, and then your horse really has reason not to trust you anymore, and he uh, certainly is not going to look forward to his riding sessions with you. So I could go on and on and on about various exercises I would do to get ready, get my horse ready for the riding season. I just wanted to give you a good overview. Now, I know for many people that having not ridden in a while, uh, particularly if your horse is greener or uh, maybe you're lacking some confidence or some, or you wish you had a higher skill level, I know that confidence in getting back in the saddle can be a huge issue. In fact, I think it's such an important topic that I'm going to save that for next month's issue of the podcast. We're going to talk about getting um, your confidence level where you need it to be um, to tackle the riding goals that you're setting for the upcoming riding season. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Our first question comes from Barb, and she asks, Do you ride when it's windy? My horse is spooky when it's windy, and I miss not riding, but I don't think my horse or I are confident when it's windy. Well, good question, Barb, and um, actually... Um, do I ride when it's windy? Only because I have an indoor arena. And the actually the biggest type of weather that chases us indoors is the wind. I actually live in a really windy place. We live just below the Continental Divide in the high mountains of Colorado. And there is a river canyon out the bottom of our valley. And so we live in the direct path of the downsloping winds that come from west to east with the um, jet stream and uh, the wind just tends to suck right down the river canyon. So consequently, it's very windy where I live. I've lived here for over 30 years and um, I've learned that when it comes to training young horses, green horses, or spooky horses, 
that on windy days, it's just dang near impossible. In fact, back when we were starting a lot of cults on the super windy days, uh, there were some days when we just wouldn't ride because I learned that the net effect could often uh, be that your training session would actually become a negative training session. So um, it, it, it shouldn't come as a huge surprise to anybody why this might be. And so remember your horse is a prey animal and he is constantly monitoring the environment for danger, for predators. And a horse perceives his environment with all five of his senses. So he listens, he watches, he smells, he touches, um, and he hears. And all of, not all of these things, but many of these things are taken away from him on windy days. So for instance, if the wind is howling, um, your horse could never hear the slight snap of a twig as a predator approached. Um, when the wind is blowing and the trees are all swaying right to left and the branches and the grass and everything's moving, stuff flying by, um, your horse's vision is keyed into movement. And so he monitors the environment looking for movement that might indicate a uh, fast approaching predator. And so when it, everywhere he looks and his entire environment is moving and things floating by in the breeze and stuff, it's a really overwhelming stimulus and he cannot isolate uh, any movement that might be coming from something dangerous or threatening to him. Your horse also re Re, re, uh, relies a lot on his sense of smell. Yeah, they have much um, stronger sense of smell than humans do, and they can smell danger. They can, for instance, you know, they might be able to smell uh, a herd of elk. They might be able to even smell a cat, a mountain lion, or something like that, um, a wild pig. But in again, in the wind, um, the sense of smell just you know, flies right by. And so depending on if they're upwind or downwind, um, they don't have that information available. Available. So there's a lot of good reasons why your horse would be disconcerted in the wind. I think the wind clearly affects people too. It makes us edgy and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, just changes your outlook. You might be all hunched over and hunkered down instead of really looking around and relaxing and taking a deep breath. So certainly windy days are challenging with horses. Now, when I say windy, um, we call a windy day, you know, like 20 to 40 mile an hour winds. Um, it depends on where you are, how windy it gets and how much your horse is going to be affected. But um, as I said before, a lot of the reason we have an indoor arena is to be able to go inside out of the wind. But I will tell you this, even on a super, super windy day when it's gusting, you know, 25, 35 miles an hour, um, even in an indoor arena, the horses are edgy because there's stuff blowing up against the arena. There's branches, you know, scraping it, stuff like that. So it's just a challenging situation with the horse. And when in doubt, I think it's better to err on the side of safety and caution. And uh, ultimately, I want every experience that I have with that horse to be a positive one. So remember, it's important also to set your horse up, up for success. So if you're riding a high, strung, nervous, um, or a very green horse, you might be better off leaving that horse in the barn today than going out on a ride and having a negative experience.
Next question comes from Margaret, and she says, Confidence in cantering. My mare has run off before, and I have lost my seat. That's the end of her question, so (laughs) I'm guessing that she wants to know how to build confidence in cantering. Uh, Well, I'll give you my standard uh, responses that I talk a lot about in clinics. And first of all, I think it's really important for people not to get in a hurry to canter, not to canter on those days that you think, let's say the wind is blowing and your horse is edgy, um, or when things just don't feel right to you. Um, so there's a saying in classical horsemanship that says the best way to improve the canter is to improve the trot. And so there is much to accomplish on a horse at the trot. We can do slow sitting trot, posting trot, uh, extended trot. We can do circles and serpentines and figure eights. We can ride the trot sitting, standing, and posting. Um, there's just so much you can accomplish at the trot that, um, basically, when you accomplish all that, cantering will be nothing. So just to address the, the horse running off, um, I'm assuming that maybe you're riding a very forward horse, a nervous horse, um, a horse with a lot of forward go. And when you ask that horse to canter, it tends to kind of want to take off with you. Um, these are common problems that people have on hot-blooded horses. Um, often, it's simply because you're over-cueing the horse. So really slow that cue down, give less of a cue, use no legs at all in the cue, only use a little gentle push of your seat or a little kissing sound. Um, slow down your transition and try to just ease the horse into a canter. Um, so make sure you're not causing that problem by over the horse. Um, also, if, if that horse is just a really fast, forward-moving horse, an exercise I think works really well for that horse is to ask him to canter and then just go three or four strides and ask him to come back to a trot. Get him back together at the trot, come back to a slow sitting trot, and then cue him to canter again. Just go three or four strides, come back to a trot, get yourself together, do a circle right, a circle left, cue that horse to canter again, and maybe this time you go four or five strides. But this is a great exercise for slowing down the canter or for that horse that takes off into the canter because um, what happens is after a few repetitions of this, you first you, you know you go three, four strides, four or five strides, two, three strides, five, six strides. What happens is after four or five repetitions of that, the horse began, begins to anticipate the downward transition. So every time you ask him to canter, he's already thinking about coming back down to the trot. And so gradually over time, you just increase it to five or six strides, six or seven strides, eight or 10 strides, all the while bringing the horse back down to the trot. So he keeps thinking about that downward transition. Um, And then in terms of you losing your seat, well, I can tell you uh, almost, um, almost all of the problems in sitting the canter have to do with the rider getting her shoulders in front of her hips, closing off the pelvis, getting in front of the motion of the horse, and then that causes you to get thrown up out of the saddle when that horse comes into suspension and in stride. And so I like to encourage people that are learning to canter, especially people that are nervous about cantering, to sit well back, even get your shoulders behind your hips just a little bit, 
Um, the, the motion that you want to develop in riding the canter is a motion like pushing a swing. So your hips are making a circle forward and down, up and back. But you can only really make this circle if you're sitting well back and your pelvis is open. So Margaret, uh, make sure you develop confidence in cantering over time. Don't get in a hurry. Spend a lot of time at the trot. Only canter on those days that things feel just right to you and you're in a good situation with with, uh, your horse. And uh, remember that you're going to work on controlling the horse's speed by doing a lot of downward transitions um, from the canter. And then to improve your own seat, just make sure you sit way far back Um, Try to um, open that pelvis as much as you can and make sure that horse doesn't lure you into a forward position. By the way, my number one selling video is called Canter with Confidence. It's an A to Z video all about the canter, everything from the mechanics of the footfalls, leads, how to cue for the canter, how to ride the canter, cantering a green horse, collecting the canter, um, all the way up to flying lead changes. Um, So that is a great resource for you. It is only available streaming. Uh, We no longer have um, that stock in DVD. You can purchase that streaming video at shop dot juliegoodnight.com and it's called canter with confidence and i would also encourage you if you are having training problems with your horse such as him taking off every time you ask him to canter you might want to take a look at my horsemanship academy or horsemaster academy the interactive level uh, which offers a training curriculum for both you and your horse as well as personal coaching from me so again check out juliegoodnight.com slash academy Thank you everyone for a fun and interesting conversation on getting you and your horse ready for the upcoming riding season. Check out the show notes for this episode of my podcast for links to the training resources that I've mentioned here. Next month, we'll talk about building confidence for both you and your horse so you can attain your riding goals. If you have questions for our Q&A segment, ideas for topics you'd like me to address, or you'd like to participate in a call-in session with me, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or visit juliegoodnight.com. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.